Hi, and welcome to the Post-Acute Point of View, our discussion hub for healthcare technology in the out-of-hospital space. Here we talk about the latest news and views on trends and innovation that can impact the way post-acute care providers work. And we take a look at how technology can make a difference in today's changing healthcare landscape in both home-based and facility-based care organizations and the lives of the people they serve. Today, we hear from Naveen Gupta, Senior Vice President of Home and Hospice Division for Matrix Care, and his special guest. Let's dive in. My name is Naveen Gupta. I am the Senior Vice President and Division Head for the Home and Hospice Division here at Matrix Care. Really want to welcome you again to another episode of the Post-Acute Point of View, the Matrix Care podcast. Today, I am joined again by a good friend of mine, Nick Knowlton. Nick is the Vice President, Strategic Initiatives at ResMed, and also is the Board Chairman of Commonwealth Health Alliance, where he leads a number of strategic initiatives, all tied with healthcare interoperability. He's championed these interop projects across post-acute, ambulatory, and acute care settings, and really worked for many, many years establishing a culture to support patient-centric interoperability. Prior to joining ResMed, Nick ran strategic initiatives for Greenway Health, really a market leader in physician practice EHR space. Nick, welcome back again. Thank you so much, Naveen. Always a pleasure to be chatting with you. Nick, so it's been a decade. We talk about the federal government. They started subsidizing the meaningful use of EHRs for acute and ambulatory care providers, and they started on the interop journey. And as the narrative goes, it was a good strategy, but there was an important piece left out of the puzzle, and that was the post-acute providers. But that's changing, and that has been changing pretty rapidly. Uh, We're going to talk about the interop survey now running two years in a row. It's been done, as you know, Nick, you've been involved with it, uh, partnership with Potter Research, very, very thorough, almost 700 respondents, 100 health systems and physician groups, 300 home-based care organizations, and this year, skilled nursing facilities were included as well. I believe from an industry perspective, it's one of the most comprehensive point of view developed on interoperability within the post-acute segment. So Nick, we're going to dive straight in. We definitely want to tease out lessons learned from the interop survey, but we have a number of listeners and they may be getting a first introduction to this notion of interoperability. So help us just define what exactly do we mean by interoperability and at the highest level, what problem does it solve, Nick? Well, Naveen, that's a great way to start this. You know, level setting on the definitions always helps. So Last year, for those who aren't familiar with the first round of the survey, we did survey in that initial go-round to discover how provider organizations view and interpret the very meaning of the word interoperability. We surfaced multiple different definitions to them, and actually, surprisingly to me, the Mm -hmm. most technical definition won out here, and that is the definition used by HIMSS. And for our audience members who are not familiar with HIMSS, HIMSS is the Health Information Management System Society. It's the largest group of health IT professionals. It includes members from all around the healthcare ecosystem and all around the world. And every year, you know, they host a 45,000-ish person gathering to discuss the, you know, latest and greatest. So they're one of the foremost authorities on healthcare information technology to begin with. And their definition of interoperability is this. It is the ability of different information technology systems and software applications to communicate, exchange data, and use the information that has been exchanged. 
and that definition one was providers from all care settings and we surveyed uh -huh. them last year. It beat out much more simplistic definitions we sometimes use in the industry, including some of my favorites, such as just get the right information to the right place at the right time. Sure. And I think, you know, for the audience, as we jump into this conversation, really you know, key to this definition winning was something that I'm sure is relevant to the data presented in the survey. And I'm sure you'll be asking me more about it later. And that is that we need to make this information usable. The last part of that definition included the phrase, use the information that has been exchanged. So per the definition, we have to be able to use the information that is exchanged and documents in and of themselves that are just human readable, that does not really suffice for a definition of true interoperability. Yeah, Nick, I, I loved it. It's not just interconnectedness for interconnectedness sake, but ultimately, you know, using the data to good use and optimizing the health of individuals and, and populations at large. There was some really encouraging news as I, as I studied the paper. And I, you know, one of the quotes that jumped out at me was 95% of providers say they believe interoperability is crucial compared to 34% in the previous year. And then there was continues and it talks about 85% of providers claim they are able to accept admission, discharge, and transfer feeds, ADT, with 72% reporting they accept clinical information in some format. Now, this is almost three times a jump in better understanding of the importance of interoperability just within 12 months. How would you attribute this to, Nick? What's going on here? Well, Naveen, first and foremost, I'd certainly agree with you. This is one of the more shocking numbers that stood out to us in the data is that jump in recognition of the importance of interoperability amongst the post-acute provider survey. I think the data that we gathered in the first round of the survey predicted this to a certain extent. You know, mm -hmm. for any new trend, you have to have awareness before growth. And to me personally, that's what this data shows. So Last year, we reported a gap of, you know, 60% of referring providers reporting that they would be willing to switch care providers if they were able to accept electronic referrals, and only 34% of post-acute care providers understood that importance of interoperability to their referral sources. And this year, the referring provider number for demanding interoperability is up to 74%, but the post-acute providers now seem acutely aware of that need with 95% noting that it is important to their referral sources. And that is a huge evolution, and the industry is really catching on that this is important for referral sources and hence for their agencies. But we also pick up in conversations that we have around the ecosystem, and I'd say this is you know, more anecdotally, not necessarily captured in that data, but there's a growing awareness of the importance of interoperability for how we run care delivery in this country and for the patients themselves. Even the family members of those patients are starting to get it. So, you know, we live in this world of rising consumerism in healthcare, and the pandemic did nothing but accelerate that trend. I literally set foot in a grocery store last week for the first time since this pandemic started. You know, I'm lucky enough to live in a city with Amazon, Fresh, Chip, Instacart, you know, we have it all. And I've grown accustomed to having those systems speak to my phone. Is my order accepted? Where is it in process? When will it be here? And now that we have a taste of that in healthcare as patients, I mean, I fully expect my primary care physician to have electronic access to lab results, and I want to see that info in my mobile portal. I expect the same when I'm helping my dad navigate his own care journey, which includes a lot of post-acute care settings these days. And I expect the same from those groups that I do in my health system. Patients are waking up to this potential, and referral sources who deal with the patients who enjoy the power of interoperability, you know, assisting their care journey in a patient-centric manner, 
in acute and ambulatory care settings are already there. They are absolutely expecting it of their care delivery partners in post-acute, and the data shows post-acute care providers know it too. So I really view that change from 34% to 95% of validation of what we've seen emerging in these trends for years. And that is that these post-acute care agencies are waking up to the fact that because their referral sources can exchange electronic information with other care providers in other care settings, they know it's time to get on board. So you did point out that there is some data on ADP and clinical information being exchanged. We're seeing a lot of document level exchange taking off this year. And my questions start to veer into, well, what format are those ADPs in and what format is the clinical information in? These are the big next questions. And tying that back to our opening discussion on the definition of interoperability, is the power of the data in these documents being unlocked and loaded into post-acute EHRs? Is the return trip of information in a format the referring provider and other care providers that deal with our patients you know, need? These are the questions I think we as an industry next need to delve into. But I hope that gives you an overview of, I think, where we're at with the evolution in post-acute care providers waking up and really embracing what their referral sources want to do, and also some of those green shoots that we see for interoperability that we need to dig into next. Yeah, Nick, certainly the awareness, the education, and you touched on uncertainty pandemic had a role to play in acceleration. When you don't have access to a facility, you can't go in, you cannot do warm handoffs, you can't have the same sort of discharge, you know, and the transitions of care-related workflows as you might have had in the past. So you're looking at electronic means to do this. And then the other really, really valid point is really the consumer mindset has much higher expectations than we expect of our own health system. So somehow we feel we are working through specialists and a primary physician and we are maybe doing home health and yet none of them necessarily are talking to each other. And somehow we've settled that, that it's okay when it's not okay. And I think every constituent, every stakeholder driven by of consumers that this got to be better. And they've seen it in other areas of their lives. Certainly, they expect that from healthcare as well. And then, you know, to your final point, it's really unlocking the data, the standards that are there, are all the information flowing and being consumed appropriately to drive meaningful results. I think just that awareness that's growing is already a massive shift that's happened in the last 12 months. Nick, when you, you know, another related sort of broad macro trend that we see within our industry is this really this notion of the narrowing of the referral network. So you, you've got more networks being formed, upstream referral providers, referral sources rather, not wanting to work with a large number of post-acute care settings, but want to work with them that are able to drive better outcomes, particularly if you're focused on risk-based contract or value-based program that they all may be participating in. You referenced this saying, you know, referring physicians are more likely to change their partners. In the past, we talked about, you know, last year, the survey was almost 64%. This year, it's 74%. This is a big shift where the demand for post-acute providers really taking interrupt very, very seriously is critical in better with for their survival. Do you see it the same way, Nick? Absolutely, Naveen. I really can't state this enough. This is a critical time for agencies and care providers in our post-acute landscape, an absolutely critical time. Yeah, as I mentioned, referral sources have been used to interoperability in other care settings that's emerging to more mature levels for years, and it's driving critical decision-making for them now. 
they reported in the first round of the survey last year that they dislike the extra phone calls from post acute and the extra paperwork and faxes that is caused by a lack of interoperability almost mm -hmm. as much as we dislike the problems caused by extra phone calls and faxes and post-acute. It really disrupts their day and threatens how they deal with their own value-based reimbursement contracts. Now, in a pandemic, when post-acute providers, to your point, have been distanced from their referral sources in more ways than one, and in some instances, even locked out of referral sources' physical locations to use, you know, the one last ditch chase down the physician for a signature mechanism that we've had to deal with in post-acute for years and years. This problem is one they're acutely aware of. It stares them in the face every day. There's a ton of interoperability happening every day in other care settings. Millions of direct secure messaging addresses in use, growing post-acute care referral networks, Commonwealth and carry quality have hit the proverbial hockey stick type inflection points in growth. And referral sources are becoming accustomed to a lot of very powerful interoperability tools for those other care settings, and they want to end what they typically saw as a gaping hole in their visibility of the patient journey. And that is what we have seen for years in post-acute. So for a few examples here, you know, Commonwealth had a billion documents retrieved a few weeks ago. That mm -hmm. running rate is more clinical information moving in a week than we put through the network in one of the early years. The emerging ONC and CMS interoperability roles are going to amplify what those care providers are used to from other care settings. And post-acute care providers who can differentiate themselves and match suit for their referral sources stand to benefit greatly. And we see this all the time, of course, with all the great stories our care providers report out about gaining visibility into the patient's journey, uh, providing valuable insight, and ultimately solidifying and growing those referral source relationships. Mm -hmm. The opportunity for those agencies to choose to move forward is tremendous timely, and I really think they're for the taking. So as the referring physicians have gotten a taste of this, I think that's why that number moved up from 60-ish percent to 74 percent. Those who are able to communicate well with post-acute, they want more of it. Yeah, and they find themselves better positioned as well. You know, new in this year's research is the maturity map. And I think this is helpful to think about it from that framework, because sometimes we can treat interop as this one single monolithic thing. But to really view it as maturity levels is very helpful. So help us, the paper talks about these sort of four sort of tiers in terms of maturity. There is this basic, moderate, advanced, and high performing. Nick, help us understand the differences, just broadly, the differences between these four levels. Sure. Happy to do so, Naveen. So you know, for basic maturity, I think this is really a, a fundamental level of interoperability. We already touched a little bit on the 85% of respondents claim to be able to accept ADT information and 72 accepting some sort of clinical information. Yes. Uh, that's up dramatically from last year, but we also see this high level of dissatisfaction reporting amongst referring physicians when it comes to their post-acute care partners. So obviously the ability to just exchange an ADT or accept some sort of clinical information in some format is not viewed as uh, quote unquote getting the job done. And I think that you know goes back a little bit to my comments about we need to start digging into are those just really document level exchanges and the like. So as we move into more moderate maturity, we're moving just beyond patient demographic and clinical data in any old format. We can start alleviating other community workflow problems by moving 
physician orders and patient forms, visit notes, um, medication information, or even patient status updates. I think one of the things the survey did point out is that there's still a small amount of post-acute care providers that say they can automatically send status reports back to their referral sources. And I think that that's, once again, indicative that you know, this area is an area that you know, most post-acute care agencies need to at least move into, if not into the advanced world, which I think we best defined as plugging into national networks so that you're not relying on just uh, point-to-point interfaces, getting yes. connected to the commonwealths and carry qualities and direct trust out there leveraging those scalable networks to provide surrounding services, such as patient record locator services. So knowing that uh, the Nick Knowlton that just admitted to the local ER is the same Nick Knowlton that your agency is treating, uh, you need to be able to gain insight to that. So we view that as falling really into that, into that next category. And then finally, when we end with high-performing maturity, really at this highest level, This is encompassing all of those things that we talked about, from being able to get basic demographic and clinical information to the type of documentation our providers rely on for reimbursement to plugging into national networks. And I think it really ends with embracing the future and using more discrete levels of communication, using more community-enabled workflows to move that information at the right time. So all those evolutions that we see coming out of OMC and CMS who are setting the rules for the nationwide interoperability conversation and other care settings, really having the ability to plug into those fire-based resources that they mandate so that providers in post-acute and acute and ambulatory care settings are leveraging the same discrete information when they're working with the same patient. Nick, very, very helpful just to understand these four sort of tiers in terms of maturity. You know, every organization, as they think about the interop strategy, just figuring out where do they sit today, just doing a baseline assessment. Okay, we can do ADD, right, basic, but aspirations, how do I move to moderate? How do I move to advanced? And ultimately, moving to a high performing when it comes to driving interoperability within the organization. This was really something that stood out, and I really believe it's going to serve providers as they think about these various levels. Now, technology partners play a very crucial role in enabling rich interoperability for providers. Providers can't do it on their own. They rely on their technology partners. And yet, the survey indicated 79% are not satisfied with the EHR or the agency management system. What sort of conversations should the providers be having with their technology partners if they're not really satisfied with them, they want to push the interop strategy, what sort of conversation should they be having with them? Well, that's a great question, Naveen. I really believe in turning these conversations into things that are actionable. And I think some of your question relates back to the interoperability definition we had. How much are they getting in terms of data? How actionable are the documents and the data? How much is it inherently in discrete format? And I think we can take this a bit deeper than asking just about a maturity level. I think we can discuss how we can do this a little more directly. So in my opinion, I believe providers should be asking their vendors better questions on how capable their systems are at workflow enablement and content support of their interoperability solutions. And this doesn't even have to be technical in nature if it's done right. So I hope the words don't scare the audience. You know, just a few examples here would be does the interoperability solution exist in my native workflow in your IT solution or outside of the system? 
is the documentation only in a human readable format? Or can you do things like reconcile medications from those documents directly into a patient's chart? Can the system give you insight into mid-episode encounters your patient is having with community care providers? How can the system help me with PDGM or navigating my palliative care program? How can I surface the quality of care back to referral sources in active and passive manners? Will your strategy work for my local geography and those referral source relationships? I think these are all timely questions and natural questions in an agency and technology relationship. And this isn't all just technical and workflow related. You know, ask your vendors about the usual business questions too. Is this a big surcharge to connect or is it part of my core software package? Is the value that I'm going to get really aligned with the cost? Nick, very helpful. You know, what I'm going to recommend is that we take those list of questions that you highlighted and we make that accessible to our providers. So hopefully in the podcast link, I'd like to have a link where we can post those questions because just as the upstream referral sources are demanding, as you can see, 74% want to work and have certain expectations with post-acute providers, post-acute providers must be driving the expectations with technology partners and having these conversations because ultimately their ability to serve their communities and be able to grow will depend on the maturity of interoperability and what their vendors are able to do for them. So very, very helpful. You know, one of the big things that we talk about within matrix care resident is just market trends. I think that's really important. We seek out insights and foresights. And as you do, Nick, you know, I, I'm, I'm talking with our clients multiple times a week. And inevitably, the number one problem that exists within our space is the issue of workforce challenges or labor issues. And I know you and I have chatted about this interoperability plays a big role. Now, we can't solve all aspects of workforce challenges, but certainly interoperability plays a big role in being able to mitigate the sort of the immediate labor issues that providers are facing. Nick, can you add some color to that? Yeah, absolutely, Naveen. So just to put a fine point on some of the problems that I see out there, we hear from post-acute care agencies all the time that the nurse shortage is a real thing that's on their radar both now and based on the data and trends that they can study, it looks like we're going to meet more nurses, not fewer. And we look at this as a challenge for talent retention at, at its core, right? So when I think about how to encourage those clinicians to stay adopted with health IT solutions and how an agency or other post-acute care provider can encourage that clinician to have as good of an experience as possible in working with their agency, I believe that technology and interoperability specifically can play a key role in that. So I like to think about this a little bit as in terms of a day in the life of a clinician. If, if a clinician has bad technology and doesn't have access to interoperability, they may get a referral in from a referral source. They have just a very thin sliver of care history on that patient. They may drive out to that patient's house, discover a shoebox full of medications, and they yes. don't know what that patient's supposed to be on. They don't know what the rest of their problem list is because they weren't properly informed. So what does that clinician do? They spend the next couple hours on the phone talking with a referral source, talking with other specialists that that patient's been to see, trying to reconcile that medication list, trying to complete the picture of what's going on with that patient. And in the meantime, you know, in home care, 
they are not spending that time with the patient. They're spending it on the phone. And they also, you know, in terms of uh, hospice-based care, that's the toughest day in the life for the patient and their family members who are present, right? So we really want to leverage these type of tools to allow the clinician to interact with the patient the way the natural caregiver relationship is supposed to work. So if we continue beyond that initial encounter, what's that clinician doing at the end of the day? Instead of being able to focus all their efforts on the patient, they were chasing down information that they already should have. So now they're required to go back and document in their systems what happened during that encounter. It's probably four or five hours or more since that encounter. And the quality of data isn't quite as good as what it could be if it was entered in real time while they're working with the patient. So that's distracted the clinician from spending time with their families, enjoying their hobbies, enjoying downtime. And I really think that if we leverage these IT tools and interoperability appropriately, we can allow those clinicians to do their job in a much more efficient manner, to do their job in a way that they were trained to originally do it. And it gives them such a better quality of life. You know, I know you and I've been involved in a few case studies about this, and the numbers absolutely back up the concept that if you allow clinicians to get involved in decision-making around interoperability and IT solutions in general, you are going to end up with much more satisfied clinicians. And I think we all see that these trend lines for, you know, number of nurses available to the industry and the type of problems we hear about for clinician satisfaction and retention, interoperability can be one of those powerful tools in a given agency's playbook for how they're going to differentiate themselves and attract and retain talent. Yeah, Nick. So, you know, within within our space, very high double digit you know, attrition really that happens, you know, in terms of workforce, we're going to be short of millions of caregivers in the next five years. So to your point, if we can use technology to drive improved productivity, that certainly is going to help mitigate some of the immediate challenges. But also, I love what you touched upon is the quality of life. Clinicians are giving of themselves, you know, really heroically and caring for patients. If we can remove that friction that they experience daily and give them a smoother experience, I think it's going to serve certainly the patients, but certainly the caregivers as well. So very well articulated there, Nick, in terms of how interoperability and, and workforce challenges can be tied together. I'd love to always leave the listeners with a couple of actionable insights as they listen to this podcast. Maybe my final question to you is for those providers that are still on the fence, they hear and I'm hearing about interoperability, they've heard you really talk about the survey, how important this is. It ties to, you know, really emerging as preferred providers. It helps with labor issues. It helps with driving better patient outcomes. They'd love to get started. How do they go about doing this? Well, Naveen, I love this question. Let's bring it home and uh, make the rubber hit the road for the uh, listeners today. So I kind of view this as five key things to navigate the journey. And this, I believe, works for any post-acute care provider organization, but especially uh, our home health and hospice agencies. So the first recommendation, of course, is to move that common definition of interoperability. This is how your referral sources think about interoperability. It includes that definition of being able to use the data. So number yes. one is make sure that you're using the same terms as the rest of the industry. Number two, I firmly believe that all interoperability begins with a simple conversation. Like your listeners have recognized that this is real. It is possible today. 
and begin that conversation with their referral sources about interoperability. You know, talk to your vendor about their strategy and how they can support your journey. Number three, I'd recommend that everybody evaluate the financial implications of their strategy or, or lack thereof. For the home health agencies out there, PDGM is obviously very topical. You know, you have a compressed revenue cycle and reimbursement is now directly tied to how complex a patient care journey is going to be if you know their complete history, right? So these are easy ways to look at it and say, wow, we know that we're going to be in a better financial position if we embrace this than if we do nothing. And for the hospice audience, you know, so many examples from our conversations for the requirements of palliative care. And there's a lot of examples of what interoperability can do to help smooth those rails for them. Eliminating duplicate data entry, giving referral sources more visibility to clinical data. Those can be very impactful to the bottom line of a hospice agency. Step number four, we'd recommend that you leverage your strategy to differentiate your business. The timing is perfect to take advantage of this remaining interoperability gap between what your referral sources want and what is actually happening out there in practice. So take the opportunity to move forward before your competitors do. That differentiation opportunity for today is tomorrow's necessity to really be in business in this space. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, I'd recommend that everybody talk to their vendor for support and to stay abreast of the industry changes. Bean, I'm incredibly proud of the work that we do within ResMed and certainly at Matrix Care to drive connected care and advocate for the needs of our partners, working with provider organizations, referral sources, technology vendors, and national interoperability policymakers to drive for change for our providers. And I know that we welcome that conversation, and I certainly hope that the other technology vendors in the space do too. So lean on us. That's what we're here for when we want to help you as a post-acute care provider navigate your journey. Very helpful, Nick, and we really hope that providers will take advantage of engaging us in this conversation, and hopefully this dialogue will serve them in getting started or just evaluating their maturity levels and having those conversations with their technology partners to be able to really deepen what they can do with interoperability. We you know, really firmly believe that interoperability is this non-negotiable secret sauce that drives improved care transitions and care coordination in what we know is a fragmented healthcare system. Thank you, Nick, really for your insights, passion, your advocacy for solving crucial component of the healthcare system. And, you know, we really wait for the day. We, we won't discuss interop as much. It becomes stable stakes, considered fundamental in terms of healthcare delivery. But until then, we have some ways to go and we'll keep driving this message. We really encourage our listeners and providers to download this paper that's been published and hopefully we continue to have this dialogue. So thank you again, Nick. This has been excellent. Thank you, Naveen. I really appreciate it. That concludes the latest episode of the post-acute point of view from Matrix Care. We have a lot of guests and topics coming up that you won't want to miss. So be sure to subscribe. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, leave us a review. To learn more about Matrix Care and our solutions and services, visit matrixcare.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. Be well, and we'll see you next time.